0: This episode of The Bryantland Show is brought to you by On X Hunt. From Stone Mountain, Georgia, this is The Land Show. Hosted by proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. All right. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Bryantland Show. Studio audience, thank you. Thank you, studio audience. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. You guys can sit down. How about that? I got a studio audience this week, ladies and gentlemen. What a awesome thing to have and actually, that was not a studio audience. That's a sound effect. This week I am recording with the new Zoom pod track 4. I've always used Zoom uh, to record my podcast uh, for about the last year now. And, you know, last week I did a podcast about gadgets and just talking about, you know, gadgets that you take into the woods when you go hunting well it's no different when it comes to electronics and stuff like that the things i use to record the podcast and one of the cool things man this is pretty awesome and i'm like a kid when i get new toys is i got these buttons on here and you can um put like different sound effects so one of the sound effects that's already programmed into it is the applause like a studio audience and then Some of the other sound effects is like a jazz shot and then you got like a rim shot or whatever. Like when you tell a bad joke, you know, I can say, you know, my joke and then lay out and (laughs) just silliness like that. So anyway, doing something different here on the Bright Land Show. Just trying to keep things flowing, keep things fresh, keeping things off the cuff so you guys don't ever... Let or ever think that the show is getting staled. Anyway, that's enough of that foolishness. We got a wonderful show today. I have Lisa Ballard is the guest and who has credentials out of the yin yang Emmy Award winning writer, photographer, producer, uh, champion skier. Like she has. Credentials out of the yin yang. So Lisa Ballard is going to be my guest. But before I get into our conversation with Lisa, if you guys follow me on Instagram at official Bryantland um, and on Facebook Bryantland, which, oh, by the way, if you're not, please do, because uh, that's a great way to keep up with what we got going on here with. The Bryantland brand and the stuff, you know, with the podcast, the Bryantland show. Uh, so, at official Bryantland on Instagram, Bryantland on Facebook. But anyway, if you are following me, then you know that I had a little snafu earlier in the week, uh, last week. Um, I fell walking on, basically walking to my truck. I uh, I slipped, I failed, I, I failed, I fell, I rolled my foot and cracked um, the metatarsal on the side of my foot. Um, very painful, very aggravating, and so you might have saw the picture of the boot, and that is the inspiration for the name of today's. Podcast, of course, like I said, Lisa Ballard is a guest, but also uh, the other part of the title, Lisa Ballard and AB3 Cracks His Foot, um, which is not only inspired by the events that happened to me messing up my foot, but also one of my uh, favorite podcasters and one of the shows that I listen to the Steve Austin show, uh, the professional wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin once had an episode called Steve Slips in the Shower. Um, My story is not anywhere near as great as uh, Steve's story slipping in the shower. Um, It's a great story. It was a great episode. My story, however, uh, will probably not come close to that. And it's funny, before I get into the story, I just want to shout out listener... John Fisher the uh, third. John was one of the first people to comment on the photo on Facebook of my boot when uh, you know when I posted the boot after everything happened. And of course, the first thing he says, you know, not get well, not hope, you know, everything's okay. Hope you feel better. First thing out of John's mouth: I'm hoping we'll hear all about it in the next podcast. Then he puts edit. Also, here's to you healing really quickly. Well, <laughs> thank you, John. Um, it's good to know that one. You're such a loyal listener. I mean, you're always commenting and and stuff on my on on my uh, page and and all my content. So, first of all, thank you for being such a loyal, you know, listener, a loyal supporter of the Brightland brand. And yes, John, I am going to tell you how it happened. Unfortunately. Like I said, it's not a long, drawn-out story. It is not anything of great detail. I mean, literally, I pulled up in my driveway. It's been raining in Georgia the last couple of weeks. Um, I got some loose rocks in my in my driveway, so I, I get out my truck, pull up. I don't even pull fully in the driveway. I just pull, like, on the side street, say, I gotta run in the house, grab something, hop out, walk up the driveway, no problems. Okay. Uh, so apparently, you know, I can get that right. Go in, grab what I need coming back down. I was like, well, let me check the mail. I'm going to check the mail, um, before I head off to wherever I had to go. Uh, so I'm coming, you know, sashaying down, thinking about a hundred different other things, you know, thinking about the mail, thinking about work, thinking about deer hunting, uh, You know, coming up, you know, deer hunting. I want to try to go on different spots that I want to put the climber and try to, you know, try to make it happen, seal the deal. So I got all these things running through my mind. So you would think putting one foot in front of the other uh, was kind of on autopilot. You you know, I do it every day. You think I got it. So, you know, I'm walking. I hit a patch of rocks, like I said, loose rocks. And sure enough, I slipped ass in over tea kettle on the ground, hit my knee, skin up my knee, and then, like I said, bend my foot, roll it. Rolled it really good. I mean, I, I rolled it up like some tissue. Like, I, I rolled that thing really good. Uh, and I could tell that something wasn't right, but, you know, I didn't panic. I looked at my foot, and, of course, with everything that happened with Dak over the past weekend, Dak Prescott, the Cowboy quarterback, and how gruesome that injury was. I was like, all right, everything's good. Nothing's going in, the, in any directions that it shouldn't be. So, like, you know, everything's still on. So, uh, I'm great. And, of course, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, if it wasn't, I don't know what I would be doing, but probably screaming in pain. Um, none of my neighbors were around. Actually, the only person that was around is the little girl that lives next door. And she... Was outside playing and I hit the ground. I cursed. I'm looking around and she's just in her own little world. She's playing by herself. She's in her own little world and she goes, you know, up to the stairs and nothing. I'm just thinking of my, like, again, in the back of my mind. Uh, I'm glad I am not hurt as seriously as I thought I might have been. Uh, because clearly nobody gave a damn. Because um, I, like I said, I let out a loud enough noise to attract some attention. But you know, old uh, old Annabelle next door, she uh, she was going on about her business. So which you know, fine, whatever, no no big uh, no big deal. You know, I just figured a little girl who used to in be in the window kind of staring out at everyone in the neighborhood, kind of like that Annabelle doll. Uh, maybe she would come and help. But fine, no problems, whatever. You know, go grab your parent. Hey, neighbor next door, bust is behind. Maybe we should see what's wrong with him. None of that. So it's cool. I'm fine, whatever. So I'm, I'm on the ground, knee all skint up, foot hurting, but I'm able to get myself up. So I get up, kind of dust myself off, Walk around a little bit. I got a, I got a limp. I you know, noticeable limp. It's hurting, but whatever. Go, do what I got to do. No big deal. Come back home now. My daughter, my youngest daughter. Uh, you've seen me post her on her and my son on Instagram, and she's done some on camera stuff for uh, for me. But my youngest daughter is ruthless okay i'm just going to tell y'all that right now so i i go see see them after you know everything happened i get in my truck i go do what i gotta do i go see them real quick see how they're doing how their day went all that good stuff she says to me she sees she's like what happened to you i told her what happened don't you think you need to go to the doctor no I'm fine. I I mean, but you're limping. Thank you for pointing out the obvious. I appreciate it. Uh, But I'm fine. That's fine. All right. I I I got this. So, you know, my son's like, well, what if you need surgery? Great. We're just going to accelerate the whole thing and go straight to surgery. Not. I hope you feel better. Not. You know. uh, Is there anything I can do? Nothing anything like that. We we go from, don't you need to go to a doctor because you're limping, to, well, hopefully you don't need surgery. And I, so my, my kids are ruthless. So need, needless to say, I go back to the house, get everything set up to do the recording with Lisa. We have a great time. As soon as I finish telling you guys this story, you're going to hear uh, my, my conversation with Lisa. Um, but in doing that, I was sitting down uh, for about an hour. Uh, by the time, we, you know, we talked and then we laid down the podcast, about an hour. Man, I went to go stand up, and I could put zero weight on my foot. Like, I literally, I felt like I was going to crumble. Like, just everything just buckled. So I, I'm hobbling around the house trying to get to the bathtub, soak my foot in the Epsom salt. I'm thinking, you know, this is just a... Uh, little soreness or whatever, put hot water, Epsom salt. Uh, I'm still, I have a legitimate beef with Epsom salt because it doesn't do what it says it's going to do now. Uh, Some people will say, well, you know, it's not for broken bones. Well, at the time, uh, I didn't know I had a, a fracture. Uh, in my foot And on the bag The Epsom salt bag says For aches and pains Well I was aching And I was in pain And it didn't work So um, Got a little bit of a beef With the uh, with the Epsom salt people um, So I did the Epsom salt Salt water uh, Epsom salt Hot water Didn't work Put the cold uh, the Little cold gimmick on it um, You know the ice pack Or whatever That didn't work uh, Finally Next day I go to urgent care. They get me taken care of. They take the x-ray. I got a boot, which allows me to get around a lot easier. Um, Eventually, I will have to go see the orthopedic doctor and kind of find out the course of action. Hopefully, it's nothing too, uh, too crazy. But to put a bow on this story, back to my ruthless daughter, when I saw her after coming from the doctor, she's just kind of got the she's she's got the gas giggles. Okay, she's just a giggler. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? Like what what about this is funny? And I'm not laughing at you, Dad. I'm like, okay, so what are you laughing at? And it's like I told you yesterday you should go to the doctor, and hmm, you go to the doctor and you find out you have a fractured foot. Again. Thank you for pointing out the obvious. I appreciate it because that's what I need in my life. So, I mean, if any of you guys out there, I'm pretty sure all you guys and gals out there, you got kids, whatever the age group or whatever the age range, hopefully they are a lot better when it comes to taking care and just kind of consoling you Whenever you go through something um, that is, you know, not necessarily the greatest thing in the world. But thank you all for your well wishes, everything that you guys posted on social media. Like, I promise you I did not post that picture just soliciting sympathy on social media. I mean, this is really going to put a damper in my dear season. But I'm still going to do what I got to do to try to get after it. But uh, thank you. For your, for your well wishes, I really appreciate it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is AB3 Cracks His Foot. Like I said, my guest this week has credentials out the yin-yang. Uh, Lisa Ballard from Lisa Ballard Outdoors uh, has three Emmys for her work on the Wildlife Journal, a show that was on PBS Uh, She was the past president of the Outdoor Writers Association of America, Uh, television producer, host, writer, photographer, champion skier. Oh, by the way, huntress, bagging several elk, ducks, geese, a lot of upland bird hunting, fly fishing. Lisa does it all. Uh, not to it not to manage, or excuse me, not to mention Jesus. If I could talk, not to mention mother and wife, uh, great photographer. So Lisa has done so much in her life in her career. Uh, so I think you guys are going to really enjoy our conversation. We get into everything. We talk about her her time as a champion skier. We talk about the kills that she's made. Uh, out montana uh always interesting to get to talk to someone from big Sky country. you know I always talk to folks that uh hunt closer here to the southeast or um, in the midwest it's a different type of hunting out there in montana, what they call big sky country, so it was great to get someone else on something different uh different perspective so I'm going to quit blabbing. I'm going to fall back, get out the way, and then you guys listen to my conversation with Lisa Ballard here on the Brightland Show. There's that studio audience again.
1: Brightland.
0: It is not often... That matter of fact, I think it is the first time on the Bryantland show that I've had a Emmy award-winning producer on the show. I I've gotten a couple of Emmys myself when I worked uh, at ESPN back in the day for like SportsCenter and stuff. But I kind of always say I got those by the not so much of anything that I did. But I have a actual. Emmy award-winning producer joining me on the show today. Lisa Ballard, welcome to The Bryant Land Show.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
0: Man, it, you know, going through your, just like your bio and your list of accomplishments, I mean, you you you've done a lot and you and I, and I said to you before we got started it's like you you're a busy lady you're an Emmy award winning producer writer photographer champion skier not to mention hunter outdoors woman conservationist author what what else am I missing
1: well you know what's <laughs> funny is people look at my bio and they go wow there's a lot here but really it's the outdoors that ties it all together I just love being outside I love being on the side of mountains I love being in the backcountry you know if you can put me in some remote location I'm I'm very happy so so on the face of it it sounds like all these disjointed parts but in fact they are all tied together because they share the outdoors in common
0: right right and it, it's funny about you know using the outdoors as the glue because like i started you know when i started bryant land you know, i basically have a background in broadcast television and i started hunting at a late age and i wanted to mesh you know my passion for broadcast and my newfound hobby and love for the outdoors so it's just funny to hear you say, you know, how the outdoors is what gels so many of those things together for you. It's like you got all these different things that you're doing, but it was really the love of the outdoors that kind of like spawned like all these other things.
1: You know, and it's funny, the, the best moments, you know, were were outdoors. Um, so when I you talked about those Emmys and I I, I confess, I'm pretty proud of them but as you should be (laughs) yeah they were they came about not um it it was really working on a, a a hunting and fishing show it was called wildlife journal and it was produced for pbs and we used to uh basically do segments on how to get people outdoors and how to do it safely and have fun doing it and you know make the outdoors more accessible and and it was not a hardship because it was what I loved to do. And, and I learned so much too, you know, it's like, I, I learned how to go clamming. I learned how to sit in a deer stand and, you know, watch for whitetail. I learned how to, um, you know, cast a fly rod better than I ever could. It was, <laughs> it gave me an opportunity. I caught an 800 pound tuna on the show
0: i that was you, a big
1: I, deal. <laughs> I
0: saw that when I was doing my research and just checking your stuff out I saw you guys did the show with the tuna and you catching the tuna like I mean that's amazing
1: and you know the interesting part of it is that so we didn't keep the tuna it was I was with a research biologist and we were tagging tuna right they were trying to figure out you know how where what the where the tuna were migrating but oh my goodness you know the thrill of it was actually hooking it it was amazing to hold on to that rod when it was just humming (laughs) like crazy and and (laughs) all I could think of was breathe breathe (laughs) because it was physically it was really challenging but um it was also so cool to just see that fish come come onto the boat you know they pull it up through the back of the boat tag it quickly and put it back in and so it was really that moment of the fish was really a small part of the show it was everything else about the experience that was really important and I think when you look at how people enjoy the outdoors that's often the case I mean I I feel like um, whenever I go outside it's the journey as much as the goal that's mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm.
0: So yes. well, just to go back to that toter cuz fighting such a huge, you know, fish like that, how long did it take to reel it in? Like to get it in?
1: <laughs> a while. It, well, it seemed like forever, <laughs> right? it was about 40 minutes okay. um, to actually land the fish. Yeah, yeah cuz you have to tire it and um and and then get it close to the boat and then you know and then they and then you have help getting it on board from the crew just because it's 800 pounds and there's no way one person can i only weigh 130 pounds
0: (laughs) i can only imagine just 40 minutes because we uh i took my kids on a charter um last year off of the coast of lake michigan and we caught um trout and um And Salmon, and we caught like a monster, like rainbow trout, I forgot the specs or whatever, but it felt like, like you said, all of like hours of just reeling it in. And basically, all it's doing is basically you against the fish. It's like, who's going to get tired first? Like, you or the fish, you're trying (laughs) to reel it in, and then it's just like, all right, well, don't reel it in too hard. Like, give it some slack. Let them have it a little bit. Then you try to reel it in, and then reel it back. So, God, 40 minutes. Like I said, our our little king uh, rainbow trout, our our big rainbow, I forgot how long it took, but 40 minutes when I listen to you reeling in a freaking 800-pound tuna, man, like – That would have been. I had to be in for the day. It's like, all right, we're good here. Cut. (laughs) It's like we're cut. We're we're done here.
1: Yeah, and you know, you're in partnership with the guy at the helm. You know, the guy who's driving the boat. Right. He's the one who really helps you keep the slack out of the line and keep things taught it's um you know part of that show was the the adventure of fishing for tuna but you know and then you don't want the fish to get too tired because you you want it to survive because you're tagging it you're not keeping it to eat it so right
0: part of the conservation effort
1: yeah so the conservation piece of it was a balance you know with the show what the show needed but um but the whole the overall experience was once in a lifetime i mean and i i just feel so privileged through what I do for work to have opportunities like that. You know, it's just, it just was so memorable and wonderful.
0: Well, you said something. I want to go back here um, a little bit to the beginning, because you said when you were doing the show, you know, you went clamming, which basically, you know, going, looking for clams. Uh, You Mm -hmm. fought the 800 pound tuna. You sat in a deer stand and hunting whitetail I saw something uh in your bio says basically you were born into the outdoors. Now if those were experiences you got to experience during the show, what kind of experiences did you have coming up as a child in the outdoors? Like who who introduced you? Was it your father? Like what what was your beginning like?
1: Well, so I was born in the Adirondacks in upstate New York and um it's a really rural area. And the mountains were my playground. The outside, outdoors was my playground. You know, my dad would take me fishing when I was a kid. And I I have this really funny memory of going out in a little tin fishing boat with like a 10 horsepower outboard motor with my (laughs) neighbor and my dad. And I would catch like three dozen perch, you know, Mm. and we'd pull them all in. And I would make them keep all of the perch. And so then they had to clean them, because I really <laughs> wanted to eat them, right? And, uh, it's a kid thing. Now, did and, you um, get
0: in on the cleaning?
1: Oh no, they wouldn't let me handle knives. knives <laughs> I was only about six years old. Oh <laughs> so, man! But but I had, you know, I was on the water a lot, and I just grew up, you know, with skills that are really important to the outdoors. I grew up paddling. I grew up you know, being, uh, hiking up mountains. I, I, you know, I grew up with water and big terrain and, you know, I think once you're just comfortable there, it's pretty easy to then start to learn other skills. You know, I, I knew how to camp and backpack and do things that were outdoor related. And, and certainly as a skier, you know, I was a ski racer from six years old and I, Uh, And that was a big part of my life, you know, being outdoors. And what I did for training for skiing was all mountain based. You know, I would run up mountains and I would go, you know, for 20 mile hikes. And, you know, I just I had this sense that the more time you spend in that kind of terrain, the more mountain wise you are, the more Mm -hmm. comfortable you are. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what you're doing there. I was comfortable skiing for sure. But then. Now, when I go elk hunting or if I'm looking for big mule deer or whatever it is in the mountains, I, I, I'm comfortable doing that. I, I just love being there. You know, I'm, it's, it's as much home as my real home is.
0: No, it's amazing because the parallel there is like, I grew up in the country, you know, like rural South Carolina and, you know, pretty flat obviously, compared to, like, the Anirondacks and stuff. But, you know, rural country living, I didn't really get into hunting as a kid. But that appreciation for that environment, just like how you had the appreciation for the mountains and becoming mountain savvy because you grew up in that area. And now, as I've gotten older, the appreciation for rural living and living in the country, it's just that you know, that parallel, but it's still the outdoors. Like sometimes you kind of just think about, you know, your area. Like, you know, all I know is rural, you know, country living in the South. And like for you growing up, it was like in the mountains and stuff like that in the Northeast. It's just pretty remarkable. Like when you're exposed to the outdoors at that age, how that just Mm. still sticks with you. And then, like I said earlier, just breeds off into other things.
1: yeah it was just it was just luck that that was my backyard and (laughs) and i embraced it you know i just and i you know that i have some confessions i mean i i'm a real cold wimp people go oh you're a skier how can you be a cold wimp you know but i (laughs) i I am (laughs) a real cold wimp. i you know and i like you know the best part about coming home was getting a shower you know because i (laughs) could Rinse off all the dust, right? But when you're when you're there, it's just there's something very freeing mentally and physically. You just feel so good when you're just off the grid and you know in the back country. It's it's just a wonderful feeling, and and um, I think I crave that sometimes, especially when I get kind of bogged down with stuff and at work. And you know, I'm a writer and photographer and a journalist, and I love being outdoors. That's the fun part. Right. But you still got to, you know, pay your dues indoors, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. <So. laughs> right. You pay your dues behind the computer and yeah. Yeah, indoors. <laughs> now, the something that struck me um, before we get into your skin, because I definitely want to talk about that the paddler era, or paddling. Mm-hmm. What, um, break that down for my listeners because is, is that just are we talking about like canoeing or are we like can you help us with that?
1: Well, it's kind of evolved, you know, so I. I've paddled a canoe as long as I can remember, but as new inventions have come along, I've kind of embraced it, you know, so, <laughs> um, I mean, I love getting on my stand-up paddleboard now. I just love oh, it and paddle around. We, we okay. actually fish from – we have a couple of inflatables, and we fish from inflatable – paddle boards now yep. and again i it's fun you can stand and it's really stable and you know you can get into places that you can't get into um with you know a motor vehicle Well right. you can put a trolling motor on one of the ones we have but it's um you know there's there's so uh, sup's awesome i love it i love the exercise of it um and i've you know i've paddled I've, I was a real avid kayaker starting in college, mm-hmm. you know, and sea kayaks came along. I just thought they were the bomb. I would just lo- – I got one. I paddle <laughs> it. I still have it. I paddle it everywhere, you know, and I love it. And then I got a Hobie fishing boat, you know, just because you can pedal it and your hands are free and you can fish from it. And I I'd love to shoot wildlife from it too, you know, a- aquatic, wild-based wildlife. And mm-hmm. it's just – um you know, I just like being on the water it, because I live in the mountains. So being on the a lake or especially when I get on the ocean, that to me is like, wow, yeah. you know, just so cool because it's so different than my everyday life. You know, I just love being on the water. So on the rare occasion that I actually take a vacation, <laughs> that's where <laughs> I go is water. Give me the ocean, yes. <laughs> you know.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Plus you
1: never know, like fishing, you never know what you're going to pull out. Like, you know, I I pretty much when I'm here, I know if it's cold water, it's going to be some sort of trout Mm -hmm. or salmon. Mm -hmm. If it's warm water, it's going to be probably a pike, maybe a muskie, probably a bass, you know, that kind of thing, which is great. But when on the ocean, man, you never know what's gonna come out of the water when
0: you hook something. That's true. So with such a massive, a massive body of water, there, there definitely opens up for all kind of things to come from out there.
1: Yeah, like eight hundred pound tunas. <laughs>
0: right, right. So that that's cool though, because the paddler, I I was wondering about that. Like uh, like I said, you know, just going through and looking at the looking at your stuff. It's just like, okay, paddling. Like, I keep seeing paddling, paddling, but I know exactly what you're talking about now. You're just standing out, standing up on the board and just standing up yeah. and, and paddling. So, all right, born in the outdoors, in the mountains. And I know that I heard that you did like a, a very, very short stretch on Wall Street. But before you got to that. <laughs>
1: gosh you are a good researcher
0: <laughs> <laughs> before before you got to that you were like a champion badass pro skier talk to me about that did that you said that started when you were like six like how did how did you get into to skiing and work your way up to being a champion
1: Okay. So here's how I started skiing. Well, I started skiing because my dad was a real avid skier. So since I could walk, I don't remember actually learning how to ski. Mm-hmm. We have home movies of me, like between his legs and are up on his shoulders, that kind of thing. But, um, I, uh, started ski racing when I was six because the little local ski area in my hometown, Saranac Lake was called Mount Pisgah. And on Saturday mornings, they would have the candy bar slaloms. And if you won your age group, you got to go in a little, it was like a little cabin at the bottom (laughs) and they didn't really have a cafeteria. It was just kind of like a little concession stand, but you got to pick whatever candy bar you wanted for free. And so I was very motivated by, sugar (laughs) hey
0: whatever 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 it takes (laughs) whatever it
1: takes (laughs) and and the rest they say is history but yeah i've always had a bit of a propensity for going fast um yeah i just really i love going down a hill i love gravity it's my friend yeah very
0: very ricky bobby-ish you know i want to go fast i want to go fast i want to go fast so
1: I do, yeah, it's true. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I kind of went through the normal ski route, you know, of developing as an athlete, and and I had a little talent for it, and I ended up making the U.S. ski team when I was in high school. Oh, wow. Um, the – the olympics in 1980 were in my hometown lake placid you know i grew up nine miles away from there and so that was a big goal which i did not achieve i broke my leg um i was only 18 broke my leg about a month before the olympics even though i was on the u.s team and a downhiller and i had raced in the pre-olympic downhill but um so that was a big downer that was like i was really really disappointed and You know, my dad was going to be the starter for all the women's events. And so that would have been really cool to have him be my starter. But we were, um, you know, I ended up, things work out for a reason. And I ended up going to college. And that's how I ended up on Wall Street, you know, economics (laughs) major, go to Wall Street. That lasted nine months. And then I went back to ski racing as a professional.
0: Was that just like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to give this a try And it just didn't work out, like, because when, back in those, during those days, like, if you got, like, a major leg injury, sometimes that was it. Like, the technology and stuff is not, you know, where it is today where you just rehab for a few months and you're good as new, Um, sometimes even better depending on, you know, the parts that they put, put your leg back with. But what... What was the I guess what led you, you know, to kinda was it the injury that led you to kinda go away and it's like, all right, I'm gonna use my degree and then it's like, no, this ain't gonna work. So
1: Yeah, I think I was just so disappointed that I wanted a change and that was a, that was about as drastic a change as you could get. Right. And um and then and then I got a phone call from a friend of mine who but so back then the Olympics were still amateur competition and if you wanted to make money as an athlete you had to join a professional tour professional sport and in skiing back then there was there was a women's professional ski tour and so I had a friend who did that right out of college and she called me up and she's I was living in New York and she's like hey come on up to Vermont this weekend and you know, hang out with me. I'm racing. And so I went up and then of course she talked me into entering the race (laughs) and I made all of 250 bucks in the first round, but boy, did I have a great time. And then I decided it was (laughs) more fun than banking. (laughs) So anyway, here I am, you know, it's roll the clock forward. I'm, I'm 59 years old and I still love to go fast. I'm, I'm actually the number one ranked super G skier on the master circuit worldwide. And I just, and I'm in the top 4 in all events and I just Oh wow. Love so to go you're still fast.
0: you're still active. I still do
1: it. Yep, I still do it. Yep. Wow. It's still a big part of my life. Yep, and it's uh I I just I don't know why I still go fast. I just
0: love it. It it's um, it, it's in your blood when you find it, something that you love and that you know you just have a true passion for. It it's hard to get it out of your system.
1: Yeah, the only problem is that it's really bad for driving because I have a <laughs> no speed <sighs> sense, and so I have to constantly be careful, we, you know, I live for cruise control, otherwise but it's a big problem. With all,
0: with all that space out there in big sky country in Montana, I mean, yeah. what... You guys it's gotta be almost like Texas, where you don't have like a speed limit or where like the speed limit's like eighty like in certain it is eighty right Luckily. okay, yeah, <laughs> that's what I say it's yeah. like it's like I was driving through South Carolina the other day and I got a speeding ticket and the officer, I honestly think the officer, he just kind of looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, "Do you know why I stopped you?" And I was like, eh, "I don't know." I'm like, "I'm not going to say like because I was speeding." I was like, "You know, I just why did I? Do you know why I stopped you?" I'm like, "I, I don't know." It was like, "You passed me. You were go. You do. You know how fast you were going? Seventy-five. <laughs> Speed limit <is> seventy. <laughs> And I was going 75 and I passed the putt and I'm like, I'm sitting there like just boiling, but got to keep it together. And I'm like, you literally going to write me a ticket because I passed you. Like, if this is not the dumbest thing, like 75 (laughs) in a freaking 70. So
1: you have, you have a great future as a ski racer, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I
0: don't know if I have enough balance to do that. (laughs) <laughs> I've seen downhill ski because, I mean, you know how it was back in the day with ABC, Wide World of Sports, you know, oh, you, yeah. you had the downhill skier and then, like, in, in the open, it was just, like, always the thrill of victory. And it would show, like, Muhammad Ali knocking somebody out. And then the agony of defeat would always be the downhill skier that, like, crashed, like, coming down. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have like the balance for that. But I do, I, I definitely have a great appreciation for speed. That, that, that I do. But
1: So one proud moment was two years ago, I was in a downhill. It's a national championship. So it was at Mammoth Mountain in California. Mm-hmm. And I got clocked at 70 in the downhill, which is for sure the fastest I've gone in a while. And um, my son was there. He It was his spring break from college. So he came out to go skiing. And he took a video of me while I was racing and posted it on Facebook. <laughs> he wrote, my mom, 70 miles an hour, exclamation point. I thought, you know, that's pretty cool. My kid was proud of me. <laughs> so
0: I mean, that is like, I'm, I never really thought about like how fast y'all are going coming down that mountain. But like 70, that's Jesus. Like just out in the open like that, man, that's. So what, now you got me wondering, so like what, okay, two, twofold question. What is the fastest speed anyone's ever been clocked? And then what's your fastest speed that you've been clocked?
1: Oh, well, there's actual competitions in which people just simply go straight and go as fast as they can. And I think the current world record is over 125 miles an hour. I'd have to look at it. Um, wow. They wear special rubberized suits and have special aerodynamic helmets and things, um, and use very long skis in um in competitive skiing, but you know slalom, giant slalom, super G, downhill, what you'd see in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, most most events are a maximum of 90 miles an hour, and they're typically a bit slower than that. It depends on the event. Um, and for master skiing, 70s right up there. I mean, that's the fastest I've gone for a while. It's a rush. It's like so. If you think about the wind, that when you stick your hand outside your car window, if you're going 70, right, that's the hardest thing is to withstand the wind. You have to really be quite strong to and quite aerodynamic the way you tuck to uh, make the to withstand the wind because it keeps trying to pull you back and pull you out of your tuck. Uh, And it's, that's the hardest uh, part is actually the wind that you create. So, um, so that's the big challenge. And, uh, you know, you've got the ski gear that can handle the speed. So that's it. it, You don't feel like you're necessarily getting rattled around too much if the course is prepped right, but the wind against your body is really something you got to deal with.
0: I can't imagine going downhill and going that fast, especially like, you know, and being in control, in control, because the only thing I would could think about the entire time is like either tumbling or crashing or something like that. Like that's,
1: wow. yeah, let's call it the edge of control. <laughs> the edge of control. I like that. There, you got to push the <laughs> envelope pretty far to that edge. And, you know, I think that's what makes a, a really good ski racer fast is that ability to push it right to the edge without going over. So, wow! Yeah.
0: So how does that compare to shooting a monster buck or a big elk or you know a big muley? Like what? What? How? What's the comparison for you? Can it's,
1: oh, it's all the adrenaline. The adrenaline's the same. I mean, it's it's and and the and the time is about the same too. So you know you figure a downhill run is takes a minute minute. Yep five seconds 10 seconds and you know okay so you are walking through the timber and you spot a nice bull that you want to sneak up on and get a shot at yep. and it's you know it, it it's that adrenaline is really it's controlling that and being able to focus it and uh get rid of the white noise at that moment when you have to take the shot right right <laughs> you know, it's 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 pretty similar to be honest i've never thought of it that way but (laughs) i think that's one of the reasons why i really enjoy hunting is is that is that moment where you've it's full concentration but yet you can't be tight you know you've got to be still loose enough and lucid enough to to be skillful and and um it's really a balance i think it's really similar really similar now that i I, I, you mention
0: it yeah no because i was gonna say especially you know like with the rush that comes with downhill skiing and even though i know you're still active and you're still competing sometimes you know people get into hunting because it's the closest thing To replacing that adrenaline rush or replacing that level of competition you know like you find a lot of pro athletes once they get out of their you know chosen sport or whatever they get into the uh get into hunting if they weren't already into it while they were playing Mm -hmm. uh just because it's the semblance of you know like you said the rush and then um the the competition you know trying to get the biggest deer trying to get the most ducks trying to get the biggest bull you know that kind of that kind of thing well
1: it's the intensity of it the the intensity is is very similar i think and also the relief afterwards you know it's like so we were just in an eastern montana this past week and uh we were um hunting pronghorn and i i did a sneak up on a, on a, a herd and took a shot. It was successful. Um, and, and it was afterwards, it was like after the shot, I watched the, I watched the pronghorn drop and I was like, and it was that same relief of finishing really (laughs) a race. I've never thought of it until you just kind of made the analogy, but it is a really similar feeling of like, I did it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and it very very pleasing and rewarding, and also a, it's a feeling of accomplishment in a, in a and it builds a lot of self-confidence and 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 certainly months later, when we're pulling a piece of meat out of the freezer and enjoying it at our dinner table, it's like you, you just feel so good about that experience yep. and that you provided it and that it's, it, it's it's all together it's all part of the same piece of it, you know
0: it's like re, and then i know for me when you pull out like you say you pull out that piece of meat or or whatever then it's like reliving it all over again like you just you really you relive the shot you relive like the day and then like you said the the feeling of exhaling like once you you know completed the shot and it's successful like that's to me that's also one of the joys like it's the memory that keeps on giving almost
1: Yeah. And you know, there are times when you miss too, or you make a mistake and oh for me in ski racing, oh yeah, there's been plenty of times where I ended up in the fence or I made a big mistake and you can't, you know, you lose the race for whatever reason. And, and, and that happens when you're in the field too. And, um, you miss. And, and, and then for me, I've always taken that as, okay, I, I don't take it as like, I'm a bad person. I take it more as like, okay, what can I do differently next time? what do I learn from this? You know, it's a learning experience that way. Yep. Um, unless of course I get hit in the noggin. I had a few concussions ski racing and then I don't care. <laughs> but, but, oh, but anyway, no, but in general, it's, it really is more of a, a feeling of um, it, it. Like what can I learn from this? I don't take it. Like I've failed per se. I, I'm like, okay, I can do this. I've done it before. What what can I do better? Or how is this different? You know, because every experience in the, when you go afield is a little different. Right. We were we were hunting ducks on this pothole the other day. And um these teal, they're really fast and they come flying down the pike, so to speak, you know, right over this pothole, really low. And I was laying in the reeds, you know, I was a layout, you know, and yep. and, and I was like just it was like skeet. It's like that that last, you know spot where you have to be really quick in their overhead and i'm just lead it by a lot and i took two shots and my and then everything disappeared into my hood as i started looking back i was like <laughs> oh man and then this duck fell like right next to me i was like i literally looked over to my right and picked it up and then like the, one of my friends who i was hunting with was like you know lisa you should look behind you maybe maybe you dropped a duck like and sure enough that Five yards behind me, another one had fallen. So that was fun. I mean, it's just rewarding and kind of a bonus to see that extra duck, and the right. whole thing was quite humorous. You know, <laughs> but
0: it's it, anyway. it, it, it's that that whole like you said that moment, like that that moment of like, dang, I missed, and then, and then when it drops in your lap in your lap, you're just like, oh, I did get it. Like his, the the shock and surprise, and then the happiness. Yeah. So. It, yep no it, it it's amazing it's it, I am i enjoy it like i said i i started late in life but definitely you know i'm still working on appreciating the misses and you know the skunks and stuff i mean i know it's a part of it and you know you're supposed to take it and grow and all that other good stuff so i'm i'm i'm, I'm still working on that part that, that's a that's uh, a a project for me, but definitely when things go right is just it, it, it's ecstatic so I'll, i'm I'm still working on accepting when things don't go right, and trust me, I get a lot of practice at accepting when things go don't go right <laughs> i just I just hadn't gotten to the point where I accept it yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think we all do. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely I, I get the reps. I, I just hadn't gotten there yet.
1: Hunting. I did a television segment once on on uh, I got to sit in a turkey blind with a guy who was the New Hampshire State Turkey Calling Champion, and I've yet to call a tur- try to call a turkey ever since. I was like, "There's just no way." Uh, I think I would scare him away.
0: I'm t- I'm telling you that. Uh, I've never, like I said, I haven't killed an elk or or bugled into, like, an, an elk or anything like that. But my number one, when people ask me, my number one accomplishment is calling in a turkey and killing it with a bow. Like, that was...
1: Wow, w- I'm impressed. And
0: and, and, uh, and that was almost three seasons ago, so I'm convinced it was mm-hmm. beginner's luck because since then, it's just been, like... Struggle after struggle after struggle. But for that one day, I felt like, you know, I was on cloud nine. Like I called these four turkeys in, I shot one with a bow. I thought I missed and he got away just like with your duck. I thought he got away and then I went back and I looked at the uh the footage and what I thought was the four ducks leaving, or excuse me, the four turkeys leaving was three leaving and one that crashed up under the tree and sure enough we went and we found him up under the tree and I was just like, man, so <laughs> keep. Keep at it though cuz turkey hunting man that that's uh um, you know I love deer hunting and and I live for deer season but but turkey hunting ain't too shabby It ain't too far behind
1: No they're good eating. Yeah, we smoke them. They're very good.
0: <laughs> yeah, no they I've smoked them and injected with uh Cajun butter if you can get the Oh, yeah. The Tony's huh. Cajun butter. And you inject it and then smoke it like that. Oh, man, that was the juiciest turkey. Oh, it's taking me back. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So horseback, better yet, hunting off a horseback or hunting on horseback. What are you out there hunting on horseback, Lisa? And how in the world did you get into that?
1: Well, okay, so I need to clarify <laughs> that I don't actually shoot from the top of a horse.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so
1: we use, we, we do, uh, my, my husband's family um, has had a traditional elk camp where we go into the um, Snowcrest Mountains here in Montana, and we set up a traditional elk camp with wall tents. We go, we use the horses to go up into the high country and then to get the elk out, mm-hmm. um, elk meat out. So we spend a lot of time on horseback, and um, so that's what the hunting on horseback is. It's not, um, it's not actually shooting from a horse, you know. Like I was a, gonna
0: say because that was gonna be you yeah. know impressive. It not like the
1: yeah no, I, would, I I think if I shot my rifle from a horse, I probably fall off the horse <laughs> <laughs> from the recoil but i i love the whole atmosphere of it it's like so speaking of getting off the grid it's just a wonderful chance to spend a week in the back country yep and in and likewise a high country here in montana where i live and it's um just it's beautiful the setting is amazing and the opportunity to hunt elk is also just unparalleled and you know we just do it it's a family thing as much as anything and a traditional piece of what we do and um i i just love taking the horses up high and uh and certainly if you do shoot an elk if you're lucky enough to harvest an elk you can uh, the horses are helpful getting them getting it out you can put a whole elk on a horse where if we had to pack the elk out it would be several trips and and it's big terrain big mileage type stuff so
0: I've heard the yeah. horror stories of uh well I shouldn't say horror stories because you were successful, but I, I've heard yeah. the I guess for lack of a better term, struggles of getting an elk out of uh the most challenging of places. It, it's definitely uh not like dragging a deer out of the the uh pine woods of uh or the hardwoods of Georgia where you got to go up and down the mountain and stuff when you're taking out an elk and oh by the way usually most places where you hunt elk at the predators are a lot worse than your run-of-the-mill coyote Right, that's for sure (laughs)
1: Um, you know so we knock on wood where we hunt um we actually had wolves come through our camp which was a little frightening it Mm. wasn't um I, I didn't realize what was happening at the time. I was in the camp at the time mm-hmm. and I saw what I thought was a dog actually. And then I looked at it and I'm like, wow, that's a really big dog. Oh, and there's another one. And mm. then I realized afterwards that, oh, those were wolves. And you know, you do have a firearm. So, you do have some sense of protection right. um the bear where we are you know the grizzly bears are asleep for the winter in theory at that point so so that's helpful um mountain lions you don't know you you will never see a mountain lion until it's pretty much on you so that's there are true. there are risks but Whew, that you know crazy. i feel you you know i i do feel like um i I, I do try to be as aware as I can, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm in, in big country like that. And, and, um and certainly the reward is, you know, just something as simple as watching the sun come up when you're, oh, you know, at 10,000 yeah. feet and you've, you you're just on top of the world and, and, um and then a herd of elk kind of trots out below you on a little park, you know, you just... It, it's you can't imagine the the how spectacular that is and how it just gets into your soul. I mean, it's just really special. And then of course, there's my husband next to me going, "Shoot, shoot, now. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm>
0: like, <"Okay." laughs> While you're trying to take it all in, shoot, shoot, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's
1: funny. No, it's, it is all it is all wonderful that way and and, and um you know and i i certainly am i'm fair i feel like i'm new to big game hunting i i've i've hunted birds and ducks mm-hmm. my whole adult life okay and, uh, but i i i started big game hunting about 10 years ago um and that's kind of for me a new challenge and i certainly understand that there's parts to it that i'm still learning every day and you know every shot i take but um i just oh again it's getting back in the mountains and getting up high in mountains i just love it and i love the exercise of it and the challenge of it and you know it's really um uh, i guess it just gets under my skin in such a good way (laughs)
0: wow the the with your big game hunting is it all strictly rifle like do you do any bow hunting or
1: no i i've 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 drawn a bow i mean i've done some bow actually for television um i've done some bow um segments and bow hunting but i i but when i go out to hunt i'm typically carrying a a rifle a 270 typically so
0: gotcha yep. gotcha and then, uh, obviously bird hunting, is that from ducks all the way to like upland hunting or just mostly ducks mm-hmm. or?
1: No, I do. I actually do both. And, um, I, I've always, uh, done both upland hunting and duck hunting since my whole adult life, like I said. And, mm-hmm. and, um uh, I just, I was in new, I lived in new England for 25 plus years. And oh. so That was the, that was right out my back door. I lived on the Connecticut river, which is a, it's not a major flyway, but it's an important minor flyway. And um, we had ducks and we had, um, we had pheasants and woodcock and it was, uh, and, and certainly partridge. And it was really fun hunting and, and, um, and uh, once in a while a Canada goose would fly by and that was a big deal. And it's so funny (laughs) because now living in Montana and geese are everywhere and no one Cares about geese as much. I mean, it, people shoot geese, and we do, and we we enjoy eating them. But I
0: was about to say, goose is great. Love.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was really funny when I was living in New Hampshire. It was a real special thing when you shot at Canada goose. So it's interesting to see how goose populations have changed over time. And and um, but but getting back to hunting, I I feel like it's Upland hunting and bird hunting have always been a big part of what I do, and I've always um, used shot shotguns. I used to shoot a lot of sporting clays competitively, and I used to go to a skeet range to practice. And it was all kind of part and parcel of shotgunning, you know. Yeah,
0: that's yeah, man. Say that now. I didn't even know that. Like the shooting uh, skeet and trap competitively. I mean. Jesus, you you.
1: Well, it was all you, to kind of get you, hone your skills, for yeah. Birds, you know, it was all really. I've written a lot about that actually. The use of clays, you know, for um, getting in shape, so to speak, for mm-hmm. for bird season, and it's all just being more familiar with your gun and. Uh, when I go to a skeet range or when I shoot sporting clays, it's always low gun. You know, I don't shoot high gun. Um, so the gun is not mounted before I, I call for the bird, you know, before oh, I call okay. pull, which is very similar to when you're hunting. It simulates hunting much closer. Yeah. Um, so um, So it's all helpful. It all makes you just. More skilled in the field, and here in Montana, uh, so all of our pheasants are wild, and uh, all of our birds are wild. Yep. And so, whether it's a sharp-tailed grouse, a pheasant, um, you know, a hun or whatever you're you're targeting, or whatever you put up on a given day, um, it's it, it's all reaction. And so, I feel like clays really help you tune in. So.
0: Oh yeah, no, definitely. I that's the yeah. one thing that I wish um, I could do more. I um, mean, and it's definitely easier when I'm out in the country. Is to practice, you know, shooting, uh, shooting clays and stuff. You know, like my bow, I can go out in my yard, in my driveway, back up twenty, twenty five yards, and and you know, practice targets all day. But mm-hmm. a little bit more uh, involved when you're doing uh, when you're doing clays. I always you know feel like like I said when I get out in the country and I can practice, I'll, I would be a better duck hunter or quote unquote duck shooter. Um, If -hmm. I got to practice before I actually just went out there and, but you know, duck hunting is just more now that, and you know, deer hunting, like I said, because I can practice and and shoot my bow and stuff, I, you know, that's a little different, a little bit different passion, duck hunting and goose hunting is just kind of like, all right, we're going to go out here. We'll have a good time. Yes, I want to try to hit some birds, but if I don't, I know I haven't put in the work. So (laughs) if I don't, I get it, you know, a little bit laid back, but I still, I enjoy it nonetheless.
1: Yeah, for me, I just basically need a a mug of coffee and you know, I've fallen, I have fallen asleep
0: in many marshes in my life. Yeah. And it, 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 you know, we, we always talk about like falling asleep in a climber, like in the deer woods, but man, like if you, you get in a good marsh or a good pit, um, when you're hunting geese, like when I used to hunt geese in Illinois, um, when I used to go with a buddy of mine, it would be like in these pit blinds and man, you get underground and you get the heater going and you know get some deer jerky and whatever and you with a good group man it's just you're having a good time or if it's slow you can kind of nod off in the corner until the action heats up again like
1: and, <laughs> yeah exactly you know it's,
0: yeah. it's a good time where you, know, you said new hampshire when you lived in new england uh where in in new hampshire
1: so I lived in Hanover, New Hampshire, which yep. is right on the Vermont-New Hampshire border. Yep. And so we hunted both Vermont in Vermont and New Hampshire really avidly, and um, and then about ten years ago I moved to Montana, and um, and now I'm here, and I love being here as well. It's different. It's really different, and it's um, but it, both are great. You know, I can't. I I just feel like both have great mountains, great outdoors here. I've been, I've never had the opportunity to hunt on a prairie in prairie habitat. And, Uh, you know, so now I've had a decade of being able to go to Eastern Montana and hunt on the prairie and it's different, different species, um, different, different types of hunting. I mean, it's really challenging to sneak up on a pronghorn when there's three sagebrush for cover. I was about to
0: say there's no cover.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. And, and, uh, You know, people say, oh, for your first big game animal, you should hunt pronghorn. I'm like, yeah, right. They run at 60 miles an hour and can't get close to them. But they, <laughs> so I, I think I I don't know. Well, if
0: you can ever sneak up on one on the side of a mountain, you might have a shot because you
1: can, <laughs> there you go, 60 miles an
0: hour and you going downhill at 70, and you might be able to make it happen. I could chase it, right? <laughs> yeah, my skis on exactly. You it. might <laughs> make it happen. So now uh, I, I was just curious because I that was. One thing, like I wish I was into uh hunting and more outdoor stuff. When I lived, I lived in uh, Western Massachusetts for three years. That was, an, or actually, mm-hmm. no, two and a half, two and a half years in Western Massachusetts, and then Eastern uh or Central Connecticut for three. So I spent like five years in New England, and mm-hmm. I wasn't into the outdoors then. I absolutely hated it. I hated the cold. I hated the snow. Like uh, I didn't like anything about it except for like when i would go to new hampshire or vermont like with the um with the fall colors like with the leaves and stuff like that but i i wish i was in the uh, into the outdoors to take advantage of that i i did better when i lived in the mid in the uh in the midwest i was into the outdoors by then and then living in Milwaukee is such a short drive to like Illinois and Nebraska and Iowa and just like those places like that. So I really, really enjoyed it. So that's why I was just curious where we're at in New Hampshire.
1: Well, so I, um, I always buy, by the caseload those hand warmers and toe warmers that mm-hmm. stick to your socks, you yep. know, and I've got a heated vest and heated gloves. And heat, if it, if you can have heat, on your body i've got it
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> the
1: cold is, yeah there's nothing
0: wrong with that as i
1: get older yeah. You know, i get yeah uh, yeah i need i i'm pretty tall and slim and so i i blame my lack of body fat on my ability to get so cold <laughs> but i think it's just me <laughs> and, and i i'm determined to stay outside and be there and so i um have come up with many ways of staying warm over the years.
0: Right. To keep you out there. Yeah. No, yeah. Makes, makes sense. So Lisa, what's next? What's the, what? what's the next big thing for you or what, what are you working on next as far as project wise or next big hunt?
1: Well, the next big hunt is next week. We're going back to elk camp and we'll hopefully bring home some, meat for a freezer and um some good stories always nice uh, yeah that's um i always look forward to that week at elk camp um but uh work wise and and i guess what i do hunting is considered work but i don't think of it that way i just feel really fortunate that what i do for work is outdoors and what i enjoy um so yeah as we head into winter i'll be on snow again i coach a lot of skiing and ski clinics and camps and then i um as a journalist oh boy um i was worried with covid because a lot of magazines were delaying publications and Mm. there was a lot of a lot going on that was uh really tenuous and but it seems like people are turning back towards what they love to read and the eye candy they like to look at and so i've got a pretty busy fall coming up the rest of the fall and the winter with um assigned at work um Okay, so now I'll tell you what my dream is because you'd mentioned early on about my my pirate book. So I wrote this pirate story. You know, it's a kids book. It's a chapter book for early readers, first chapter book. Oh wow! And it's yeah, it's called Gasparilla Pirate's Tale, and it's a swashbuckling adventure on the high seas with a. a a pirate, you know, obviously named Gasparilla. Mm. And um, I would love to be able to take the basis of that story and turn it into a full-length novel for, you know, young readers, like a Harry Potter-style novel. And it's – so that's kind of out there. And, you know, what what I'd like to do is my next big project. So when I get the time and I get a moment to – sitting right that's that'll be on the docket
0: (laughs) nice Well, one thing is for sure like you you're staying active keeping busy you know enjoying the outdoors like you can't you can't go wrong with that
1: no can't go wrong keeps you healthy keeps you alive keeps you happy good for the head good for the heart (laughs) right
0: keep it exactly keep keep your mind clear yep all of that so it. It's it's awesome, you know. And then, not to mention too, that you can, like you say, you make a living doing stuff outdoors and hunting and whatnot. But it doesn't almost seem like work because you're in a place where you want to be.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel really, really fortunate to be able to make a living doing what I love. And you know, it's not for the lack of um, working hard. You know, so some people say to me, oh you get to do for work, what, what I do for my vacation or my free time. That's so cool. And I, I, it is really cool, but as you know, yourself, it's something that you have to work at. And it's something that is still uh, you're responsible to, and have to have the discipline to make into a career. But that all said, I feel really fortunate that, you know, I can go outdoors and get outside and do whatever I love. And it's, it's uh it's what I do professionally too.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely a a fortunate win 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 in that case. Yeah, it's always funny to me people would be like, "Oh, well, if you really enjoy it, you're not working." No, if you're trying to make it successful, you're working. Like it's not mm-hmm. it's yeah. you know, it's not just handed to you on a silver platter, so but well, Lisa, I appreciate you coming by and spending some time with me on the Bryantland show. Before you get out of here, let people know where they can find you, where they can find your books on uh, all of this good stuff that you have to offer.
1: Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. So my website is a good place to start. It's uh, lisaballardoutdoors.com. And I'm on Facebook. I, I uh, started a big project six months ago, posting a, a nature photo every day for six months. So you can see some of my photography there. And, um, and uh, uh, of course, on my website, you can see my contact info and I welcome, you know, phone calls and emails or any way people want to get in touch.
0: Awesome. Lisa, like I said, thank you again for coming by. Good luck with the children's book and good luck at Elk Camp next week.
1: Hey, thanks. Yeah. And thank you for having me on the show. This has been really fun. Brandland.
0: All right. One more time. Give it up for Lisa Ballard, my guest this week. Man. Yes. All the applause for my guests lisa ballard really really hope you guys enjoyed that interview that conversation that i had with lisa and i promise next week i will not be as crazy with the sound effects button but like i said i'm like a big kid i got a new toy playing with it i'm enjoying it adding sound effects switching it up shaking things up here on the Bryant land show but anyway Like I said, hope you guys enjoyed Lisa. I enjoyed talking to her. Make sure you check out her books and all of her stuff that she has going on on her social media, her website. All of that stuff will be in the show notes. Make sure you go and check that out. Before I put a button on this podcast, I just want to remind you guys, bryantlandcountry.com. bryantlandcountry.com is the website We got merch, we got past podcasts, we got videos, we got all things Bryantland on our website. So make sure you go and check out Bryantlandcountry.com. Want to send a big shout out to the folks over at Onyx, Onyx Hunt. They are the sponsor of the Bryantland show, the world's number one mapping technology. They got the 3D maps now. You can save maps now onyx hunt when i go in the woods it's on my phone and my phone is with me so make sure if you haven't already go download the onyx hunt application not to mention for my off-roaders i gotta get some more off-road guests in here because i haven't really talked to a lot of the four wheelers and off-road guys this year but off-roaders man they have an app exclusively for you, especially for you. So they got one for us, for the hunters. They got one for the off-roaders. Make sure you guys go and check that out. Also want to say what's up and send a big shout-out to the folks over at Traeger Grills, man. I got my Traeger Grill in the backyard. I got the smoke going, whether it's been ribs, chicken, salmon, you know, I'm trying to do better, eat better so I can stay fit and look good, you know, when I start doing these appearances, when the world open back up, because that's what we working towards for the Bryantland Show, I'm on the Traeger Grill with my salmon, trying to get my my, my my body right, trying to get things tight and right for y'all, so when we come back out in the world, so make sure you go join the Traeger Nation and get that Traeger smoke going. When my boot comes off, okay, when things get better, I'm gonna have my Irish set of boots on. So I wanna say thank you to Irish set of boots for partnering with Bryant Land. Like I said, when I get this boot off my foot, my foot is ready and gets better. I got the VAP, the the VAP Tracks, the Snake boots. From Irish Setter and then I got the new elk trackers that I'm waiting, dying to break in. But like I said, got to get my foot healed, get this other boot off of my foot, and then I will be in the woods back in my Irish Setter boots. Thank you for taking the time, listening to our podcast. Thank you for coming through, making the download. Make sure you tell five people to tell five more people about the Bryantland Show Make sure you subscribe, rate, review All that good stuff But more, most importantly just Make sure you keep listening, keep supporting Keep rocking with us We appreciate you I'm going to go ahead and get up on out of here And make sure y'all come back next week for another episode Of the Bryantland Show One more time before I go to that studio audience Baby, hit the studio audience Yeah, there it go Come on in, yeah Thank y'all Thank y'all